Okay, let's do this one last time, yeah? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider. Call me Spider-Man! I want that ball-crawling arachnid prosecuted! I'm Spider-Man. I want him strung up by his web! Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I want Spider-Man! Hello, true believers. Welcome to the Spider-Man Book Club. This spi- this podcast, I almost said spotcast. It's all right though. Don't worry about it. This podcast is all about d- digging into the library of everyone's favorite wall crawling menace and his spectacular corner of the Marvel universe. Or in this case, maybe I should say his cinematic corner of the Marvel cinematic universe. A cinematic too many times. I apologize. I'm your host JJ Hodges, and today I'm joined by Sean O'Connell who has written a really great book called With Great Power, all about Spider-Man's cinematic journey. There's three, in case you're keeping count or having a drinking game. Uh, Sean, how the heck are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. I've listened to the show a bunch of times, and I really appreciate being a guest. I'm I'm flattered to hear you say that. Um, I was also flattered to get your book, uh, which I I truly enjoyed. Um, this This type of thing, you know, we'll get into it, of course, is uh, is right up my alley. You know, it's uh, behind the scenes stuff that I just, I gobble up, you know, it's it's hard for people, maybe kids nowadays to imagine, but in the era of when DVDs were kind of on the rise, the special features stuff, if there was like the, the two disc special edition. Sure, yeah. That was the one I bought because I wanted the extra disc with all the extra features. Of course. And there's no. a lot of people who like don't want to know how the magic is is made, you know. They like they want to preserve the experience of seeing the movie, but I'm with you. I want to know all the 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 nuts and bolts behind the creative process. I and and I love that you captured it so well with this um because uh there was uh you know as as I've said many times on the show I'm I fancy myself a Spider-Man historian. So there was a bit that I, there was quite a bit that I knew, but there was quite a bit that I didn't know that we'll get into a little bit. Well, that uh, makes me really happy to hear. So I, yeah. And I appreciated your, uh, your uh, research that went into it that uh, really made me excited to go, Oh, I didn't know that. Like every few pages and probably have my cat look at me going, what are you talking to? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple of quick questions I like to ask everybody who, who uh, jumps in here. Um, when, when were you first bitten by the radioactive spider? What's your origin with Spider-Man? I mean, all the way back to my childhood, uh, I, I had uh, a couple of Spider-Man toys and I had a specific toy, which was called a hippity hop. Um, and it was like a, like a big ball that you sort of hopped on. Um, mm-hmm. and, yep. and then the handle that you held onto was Spider-Man's head. And, uh, <laughs> I, I remember uh, those, yeah. I, I went around the house. Like I, I rode that more than I walked, basically. Um, <laughs> but then I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And so I watched a lot of the animated television programs. I grew up, you know, sort of uh, devouring the 60s uh, animated series, which was kind of running in reruns every time I got home from school. And that transitioned into Spider-Man and his amazing friends with I- Iceman and Firestorm and yep. uh, or Firestar. And then uh, and then I started graduating over to the, to the comics. I started to get into collecting comics and, and Spider-Man was immediately my go to guy. And, um, you know, at that point he had uh, 
couple different titles. It was um, Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular, uh, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. And then mm-hmm. Web of Spider-Man started around that time. And of course, he was always in the team up. So there were plenty yep. of stories. You know, it was almost like I was hungry for so many more stories with this character because I loved him so much. And then yep. you go to the comics and you realize, you know, there's new ones coming out every month. And then there's like an entire back catalog of stuff you can get into. And, and back then it was affordable. You can get old books for a dollar kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was just snatching them up as, as many as I could and just absorbing the stories and um, didn't realize, you know, at the time that I was doing research for a book that I would eventually write however many years, how many decades later. I think the same thing about this podcast uh, where I always, you know, I think it's almost every episode I say, I've never read this, but I know the story. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was always that going on for me. Um, so let me ask you again, uh, do you have in Spider-Man's, uh, roster, um, whether hero or villain, uh, sporting character or whatever, uh, who is your favorite character? You know, probably besides Peter, of course. Um, I, I'll go with villain and I'm going to go with, uh, Dr. Octopus. Oh, okay. I always just felt that his, um, being able to sort of match Peter, you know, on an educated level, mm. uh, the visualization of his arms, you know, depending on who was drawing him, yep. they were uh, short-ish and limited or able to wrap coils around <laughs> Spider-Man at any <laughs> right, given right. time. Um, and, you know, I'm going back to like the early days, not to the days where like they switched bodies and brains kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always thought Otto was a was a terrific foil for Spider-Man. Obviously, Green Goblin would be second um, and and the depths that they went with Norman. But uh, every time Dr. Octopus showed up as a hero, I was super into that. I loved the arc where um, like he dated and married Aunt May and like all that stuff was super fun <laughs> and bizarre. Um, yeah, yeah. She, know, had a, just, she had like some fortune or something, I think. Yeah. He was trying to get, yeah. He just felt like a, a terrific, terrific match for Spider-Man. And uh, mm-hmm. and and I think early on too, with some of the Betty Brant um, storylines, there was some really great writing in terms of Peter being uh, ill, you know, and, and having to push through in order to, because I, I know he gets unmasked by, by Otto really early on in the bit. And uh, and people kind of dismiss it as, oh, Peter put on the costume to try to save Betty. Like, I I enjoyed a lot of that stuff. It protected his his uh, secret identity. But Otto kind of got the best of him, you know, so it was, yeah, it, yeah. it was a good back and forth between the two of them. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned that scene and it makes me think of No Way Home, that it, it's almost a nod to that. Him saying, you know, you're you're not Peter Parker, you know, like yeah, yeah, saying, yeah. you couldn't be Spider-Man because you know, Spider-Man has all these powers and you're just a boy, you know. That's true. Yeah, uh, that's true. I never thought of that. That's a really good parallel. So that's a, I just watched it the other day because I watch it, you know, every day before work. I'm kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> it feels that way sometimes. Um, so uh, last question before we uh, we jump into the, uh, we jump into your book here. Um, throughout all of Spider-Man, you know, history, whether it be movies, animation, comic books, do you have a favorite costume? Oh, um, I think from the cinematic point of view, Andrew's costume in Amazing Spider-Man 2 is going to be my favorite. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I love that costume. It's got, it has bigger eyes that are reminiscent of the ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got a really great blend of the red and blue. Um, yeah. The only thing that that's going to 
edge it out ever so slightly is the closing scene of No Way Home. Sure, yeah. But I need more of that suit before I, I mean, that to me is like perfection, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but the but the shots of it are so quick, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that I wish we just got like a great, you know, one one good image of it that we could grab. Um, right. I love that it's homemade, you know, more than anything. Yeah, uh, yeah and course. I love that he's making it in a in a dingy apartment the way that he should. Mm-hmm. Um, but until we get a better look at the No Way Home, the final No Way Home suit, uh, I'm going with Andrew's Amazing Spider-Man two suit. I, 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 you know, I really appreciate that because you're the first one to say that. Um, a lot of people go with the uh, the symbiote suit, uh, which, of course, is classic. Um, sure. And but you know, I, I'm partial. I've always been partial to the to the live action stuff because and and even the uh, Insomniac games um yeah. because there's there's something tact obviously tactile and real about it um but but I definitely agree with you we need more of that uh that homemade suit um because that's the one maybe not the one thing but one of the things missing from Tom Holland's interpretation yes um, definitely well I mean uh, yes they rushed too quickly to give him a sort of you know stark enhanced a suit and it carried over into the iron spider and it carried over into even his, you know, end of far from home suit right. is essentially built with all that tech. So to see him stripped back down to the Peter that we know and love who has nothing, you yep. know, and stays up at night to sew the holes that are torn in his costume. Like that's, that's my guy. That's who I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. One one of my uh, favorite Spider-Man bits is from uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one with that. Uh, I mean, there's been like 18 of them, but uh, that uh, <laughs> Dan Slott did right before Spider-Verse, where I, I forget who he was fighting, but some villain that made like clothes disappear. So Spider-Man just he just has his mask and webbing made out of you know underwear <laughs> made out of webbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then and I think it's Black Widow, and he's talking to the Avengers, and she's like, "Okay, yeah, he's the real Spider-Man." And <laughs> I was like, "That that's my guy." <laughs> All right, wait. My follow-up. Can I give a backup though? Yeah, go ahead. Secondary. Yeah. Um, when he's forced to wear the Fantastic Four suit and the paper bag on his head. Um, oh yes, <laughs> classic. And it, you brought up the Insomniac games, like that became one of the playable costumes, and I thought that was um, amazing that they put that in there. I, I thought that too because uh, I I loved uh, Arkham Knight that you could play with any Batman costume. Yeah. So to for them to do that with Spider Man and and that be one of them was perfect to me. It was just like, yes, you know that's yeah. uh, it's one that shall not ever be forgotten, especially by Peter. And it's Parker. like when you run into a project where the people working on it clearly know their stuff. You know, it's yeah. it's rewarding. It makes you want to to spend more time with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, speaking of people who know their stuff. Um, so you clearly uh, have a passion for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you would not have written this this really th- this book that uh, uh, clearly took you a long time to research and develop. Uh, what what was the uh, you know, what was the starting point? You know, were, was it just the love of the character, or were you just more curious as to you know knowing the history and wanting to learn more? Well, it started, I, I wrote a book prior to this one um, and it's called Release the Snyder Cut. And it was about uh, the fan base that that got together to um, fight Warner Brothers essentially for three years and try to get the uh, Zack Snyder's version of the Justice League released. Um, and I'm not a DC guy in any way, shape or form. I'm a Marvel kid. I always have been. Okay. Um, but that story of, you know, Zack Snyder having to step away from his Justice League and 
for a family tragedy and then to see his fans rally around this this hashtag of theirs you know release mm-hmm. a snyder cut kind of fascinated me um so i i that idea stuck with me for so long that i i started scratching it out and it became a book mm-hmm. But that became a book that I I really learned like on the fly. I didn't necessarily know 100% what I was doing. I kind of structured it the way I thought I wanted it to go. And I mapped out what my chapters were going to be. But then a weird thing happened in the middle of writing that book, which is that the uh, HBO Max decided that they were going to release the version of the movie. Yeah. And I was like, oh, now it became like covering a breaking news story, but like in a book form, which is not, yeah. I don't advise anybody to do that. <laughs> um Make sure whatever you're going to write about is as close to being done as you as it possibly can. Sure. Um, so then I had the I had the bug and I wanted to keep doing something. I wanted to do another book once that one was finished. And um, I I learned over the course of the Snyder Cut book that if you're going to write a book, you better write about something that you that you love because you're going to be consumed by it for you know all the time that you're working on it. And Spider Man was my was my natural fit. But what what was my in for it was that. Um, you know, I love the movies. I watch them constantly uh, and I'm always fascinated by the behind the scenes stories of them. But in addition to that, uh, it kind of started as I was going to explore the different versions of Spider-Man movies that almost happened, but didn't. And that's a big part of this book. I I dive into some of those um, because I always feel like they're forks in the road, you know, and if one of those had happened, how different would his trajectory have been? You know, there's there's mm-hmm. one in particular that I talk about in the book, which is Jim Cameron uh, almost making it with possibly Leonardo DiCaprio playing Peter Parker. And if that gets off the ground, you know, it changes so many people's history. It changes James Cameron's history. It changes DiCaprio's history. It, you know, wipes Raimi and, and Toby off the board and and, right. and maybe changes the way the comic book movies will exist for the for going forward because you could have Cameron doing multiple Spider-Man movies if it worked and not doing things like Titanic which becomes the highest grossing movie of all time. Mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated by the butterfly effect of of decisions like that and then as I started to scratch out like all the different stories that as a Spider-Man fan I would love to know more about it's they started to pile up into a place where I was like oh this is this kind of is a book if I can figure out how to get through it. Um, but then it became like, there was such a wealth of material. So it was like, all right, now how am I really going to carve this down? So what I became ultimately fascinated in is the different people who contributed to the ways that that live action Spider-Man has come to the point now where we're, where we are with No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Like who, who was working with Sam Raimi to make the decisions about how to make him, like just his physicality look believable. Um, you know, who was figuring out when as visual effects approve improved what you could do with him to to transition him from the page to the screen uh and then you know there's so much there is like a lot of soap opera drama around all of the franchises like Raimi with his part three part four problem and uh everything with mark webb's versions of course (laughs) Uh, and then you know the the sony and marvel sharing of a character to me is still so historic you like studios just don't do that right. and so I, and i kind of figured and, and this was interesting because i'm real i was really really happy to hear that you learned stuff from it that you didn't know because you ask yourself when you're writing the book like who is who is it for you know is it for uh someone who knows nothing and is really going to uh, want to hear every detail or am i boring people because you know i'm, I'm repeating 
I know there are a lot of people who know a bunch of stuff about these movies and you want to include those details, but you don't want to include so many of them that these people are just like, oh, I know this already. This isn't interesting. So that's a tough line to walk um, in any story that you're trying to tell. Well, I think what, what works about your book is that I didn't feel like I was, um, you know, it, 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 it felt like a history lesson, but a history lesson that I was interested in, you know, so I'm, <laughs> so I'm learning from a teacher that I, you know, about a subject I'm excited about okay. and you're presenting it in a way that's, that's fascinating. And it, because a lot of Hollywood stories are, you know, you, you talk to any director and they're filled with stories of the movie I never got to make or, you know, the the, the story I wanted to tell. And, you know, a famous example being um, uh, Night Skies that Steven Spielberg almost did mm-hmm. that ended up becoming uh, Poltergeist and Gremlins mm-hmm. and, and E.T., I believe. Uh, so, you know, stories like that that I think are very, very interesting. Um, but it's also when it's Spider-Man, I, what I loved reading was feeling like... Um, I had this uh, animosity towards Avi Arad that <laughs> I have had for years that yeah. I, that there was a, the beginning part of the book I was reading going, Oh, he, he was like me at a point where he was like, these characters are billion dollar franchises and we can, and if we do this right, we can make billions of dollars with these characters. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, that's so funny that he as a, as a, adult felt that way because i as a kid felt that way yeah when i was watching excuse me when i was watching like the animated spider-man in the 90s i was going why isn't this a movie this would be so cool right and then when x-men was made i i went to the movie theater a bunch of times annoying the heck out of my mom (laughs) and then finally when spider-man came out i went so many times i i remember dragging my dad to it and the and to this day 20 years later, the only response I've ever gotten is, Dad, did you like that Spider-Man movie? He went, yeah, it was kind of like a Spider-Man movie. That's all he ever says. <laughs> so I assume he liked it, but Glowing I'll never know review. for sure. <laughs> Glowing review. Yes, uh, but to be fair, he's he's also been like, well, I thought that George Clooney was a good Batman, so who knows? <laughs> gotcha. Um, but, uh, it, but something like this is is interesting to me because I, I knew that James Cameron had kind of a... Uh, a, a quote unquote hit his words like grounded take on Spider-Man and mm. and I knew that his idea was to use Leo DiCaprio and to use Schwarzenegger as um, Doc Ock. Doc Ock, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I didn't know was that DiCaprio had apparently read a script mm. and was somewhat interested. And it's funny looking back because I remember even back then hearing about it, like reading like Wizard magazine. Uh, you know, for readers, you know, that was before the internet. There was Wizard Magazine for comic yeah. book sites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember thinking back then, I don't think Leo would be a good Spider-Man. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, But I do remember when Toby was cast thinking, oh, well, he looks just like Peter Parker. So, yeah, yeah. this is perfect. Well, I think that's one of the things that they worked really hard to figure out. And they were right. They were taking a guess, but they were right in that if the story is going to work, you have to have a convincing Peter Parker, you know, the costume's going to work, you know, people are going to be in on the hero. Mm -hmm. Um, But if that actor can't sell Peter in, in the scenes that he needs to, then there's no buy-in, you know, there's no buy-in from the audience. And there's some funny stuff in the book about um, James Atchison, who worked on the costume design for Raimi's first film. uh, And, and Mm -hmm. when they were 
running out of time because the amount of work that was going to have to go into designing those costumes. And he just basically says to Sam Raimi, he's just like, what body type am I working with here? Right. You know, like, what Can you please point to the kind of person that I'm going to need? Yeah. Um, and Raimi initially uh, points to this, a hulking sort of bodybuilder, you know, like a, mm -hmm. you would assume that, you know, but Spider-Man was always kind of lanky and skinny. So it was weird that, that that even happened. But then they go and cast Toby who, you know, moderately built kind of and and fit the spandex a little bit better so average height guy you know yeah. so, <laughs> which yeah, made yeah. me feel good as a as a person uh also when i i went to i saw daniel radcliffe on broadway about 10 years ago and it was one of the joys of my life i'm not a very tall person seeing him who was shorter than me and he's a superstar so I oh, was they're like... all short all of hollywood <laughs> is short believe me um well i've met a few like uh <laughs> Who tower over me just a little bit and it can be a little insecure <laughs> i got some insecurities but uh, but uh, you know another thing that i like is uh you get into the history of the um i'm gonna butcher it, the supeda man am i saying that correctly the japanese, oh, the japanese spider-man yeah the, the which i tend to forget is a thing but was a huge hit um despite and same with the nicholas hammond show yeah um but i think the nicholas hammond show suffered the same fate as like the John Wesley ship flash show, which is that this, which was the same network CBS that yeah. just di didn't mention what you know, eventually happened with Supergirl as well. They just sort of didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And which is a shame because it, these are such great characters and, and I loved you, the quotes from Nicholas Hammond in it him, because he thought he did the same thing that John Wesley ship did where he was like, Oh, this is ridiculous. I look silly. Nobody's going to buy this. And then suddenly when you have fans going, oh, my gosh, that's Spider-Man. Right. You're like, oh, OK. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and right. I, I, that, that really you know, warmed my heart a little bit. Well, it's funny to think about a time when people didn't have confidence in live action versions of these characters, you know, because yep. nowadays we're immersed in a situation where we have virtually every month, you know, a new superhero movie coming out that's introducing, you know, the eternal we have eternals movies you know yeah yeah and two doctor strange films that are making almost a billion dollars it's it's so different than what it was not that long ago you know that that yeah. hammond felt that way of how am i going to get treated are people going to take me seriously i'm an actor you know i'm a yeah. thespian i'm not supposed to be taking these parts mm -hmm. um and they didn't have the foresight of some of the people behind the scenes avi definitely being one of them you know avi really his motivations might have been for toys i get it you know he, sure. he did view the movies as a commercial for for his toy biz line mm -hmm. um but he had the wherewithal to push. And I know you probably agree with this. Like when you saw Brian Singer's X-Men, um, that was one of the first feature length comic book adaptations uh, that stood out to me from the Batman ones and the Superman ones who took those characters and, and built worlds around them. But Singer built a world that felt like it was lifted off the pages of, of the Marvel comics. You know, I really yes. believed like, the first time I heard Wolverine's claws pop out, I was like, oh, you guys know what you're doing. <laughs> like, it, that's I'll, what it sounds like. You know, I'll never forget reading a, a review that uh, I think it was in Wizard Magazine where the, the way they worded it was the way I felt. Uh, so it was worded very well, which was they got the schnick sound right. Yes. And yeah. it's like and I thought the same thing about the, the thwip with Spider-Man. As soon as they did that Absolutely. in the in the first Raimi movie, I was like, oh, they got it. 
like yep. they're, they're 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 doing this and, and it's crucial that's those that stuff is crucial and, and it's and it's great because it it goes back to what we as the fans kind of always knew right which is that well the yeah sure it's fun to see spider-man fighting the green goblin but it's emotionally riveting to see peter parker wrestle with his feelings of oh my gosh my mortal enemy is my best friend's father you know it's yep those things that separate you know the 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 fanciful from the you know i always say this the emotional reality that we all click with you know and tony stark's journey in iron man doesn't work if robert downey jr isn't going through some sort of you know uh, existential crisis going oh i can do better than making weapons right you know it, it it's like sure he's going to put on an iron suit and go you know beat the hell out of terrorists but it doesn't mean anything if we're not you know rooting for tony stark first and then iron man same way with peter parker you know in that first movie did the right thing by saying let's give the first hour to peter parker so that by the time he's spider-man we're we're 100% in absolutely um but then what i found really interesting is how each of the subsequent movies had to deal with the successes and failures of their previous of, of what had come right before them you know like yeah. spider-man 2 is probably still one of the, one of the if not the best in the entire franchise because raimi essentially just carried the momentum of what worked in the first one and and you know refined it and made it better right um but with andrew you know here he has to do for amazing spider-man the reboot you know and essentially do the origin again in a different way mm -hmm. um and then they have to make a bunch of creative decisions that specifically are made so that it didn't do what raimi did you know right. and it was it wasn't a hundred percent that that a director came in with a really strong vision and was like here's what i'm gonna do for spider-man the studio was just like how do you not do what we just did but still be right. successful right. and then you know you talk about how the character motivations of you know peter in the first spider-man realizing that oh my god my best friend's father is is my mortal enemy you know none of that got a chance to develop in the amazing spider-man 2 you know mm -hmm. it was just uh, constantly introducing new characters you know oscorp and and an electro and harry coming back you know from and all of a sudden we're supposed to believe in a friendship that you know we hadn't been introduced to before you still have the the spy parents subplot being developed with the ridiculous you know subway headquarters and, uh, <laughs> and you got gwen might be going off to london and it's just it's so much you know yeah. and if it was like pick a lane just right. pick one lane we want to invest in these characters you know um and uh it went off the rails <laughs> it went off the rails you know uh, something you mentioned in the book that i thought um was a really good take that I, I didn't realize until I read it was um, that Raimi made a, a, a conscious decision to try and incorporate actual comic book panels into the imagery, mm. whereas Mark Webb didn't for whatever reason and probably for you know reasons you just said like oh well let's do something different. Yeah. Uh, whereas John Watts when they were doing their films and even the uh, Into the Spider Verse animated film. Was the same way where it was like oh no, no no that stuff's crucial so bringing that in it it doesn't have to look hokey like it arguably does in say like the uh ben affleck daredevil movie yeah um yeah yeah but you know it it can it can look 
good if it's organic to the story and and I love you know you pointed out um arguably I think the best scene in any Spider-Man movie which is the in Homecoming the come on Spider-Man scene where he pulls the rubble ball off of him and yeah just something like that I remember seeing that in the theater and and I knew what was coming being a fan yes and, but like my friends around me didn't and just kind of cheering with them going, that's it. Yes, yeah. you're Spider-Man now, you know? <laughs> so funny that you say that because that was my reaction. You know, like yeah. you knew it was coming. Once he was underneath the rubble, I leaned forward and I went like this. I went, oh, no way. Yeah. You know, like, yep. oh my God, are you guys going to do it? Mm-hmm. And then like, as they did it, I I literally, once it happened, I stood up and cheered. I couldn't believe it. That's That's honestly one of my favorite, you know, sequences in any yeah. of the Spider-Man comics. But he, uh, um, it, but but oh, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, it's because it, it it captures what I love the most about him is his resolve and his inability to to quit. You know, no matter no matter how much everything is stacked up against him. Um, a, a you know another good example of that is it, it doesn't necessarily have the iconographies, so to speak, but the the moments in uh, excuse me in No Way Home with um, like for example Matt the Matt Murdock scene. It just I. I, you know, as soon as he showed up, we all started cheering in the theater. Yeah. And then later when Toby and Andrew come back, we're cheering again. I'm I'm sitting in the movie theater with my cousin and she turns to me and she goes, is this movie real? Are we really <laughs> watching this right now? And it was just, it was mind blowing. And, and I love the way you put it in, in the book with, you know, the, these different interviews that you've collected where everybody's basically going, this shouldn't happen. This, yeah. this shouldn't exist. Okay. And, and I, and it's funny because I, you know, I, you know, you mentioned your Snyder Cut book. I'm really good friends. I listened to that episode you did with Batman on film. Those mm-hmm. are uh, those are some really good friends of mine. Um, again, another reason I was excited to talk to you because um, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like this this writer wants to talk to me. Cool. Uh, <laughs> but um, I've had I've had people online and even in our Batman on film group chats that are like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to see that with Batman? And I'm always quick to go, no, it 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 works with Spider Man. I. I don't want to see that with Batman in the comic books, maybe, but I, I just, it works with Spider-Man and with Marvel because, and you know, I love Batman. I love DC, uh, but there's just something about um, Marvel that just, they, they, the idea the the way I've always put it is DC is superheroes trying to be people. Whereas Marvel is people trying to be superheroes. That's a great way to put it. Thank you. Uh, to, to name drop Brian Michael Bendis of the same thing. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, that was years ago at a con. It's not like I know him personally. But, yeah. uh, but uh, and I think that that movie, the No Way Home, captured that perfectly, where it's like, it's these three guys who have this incom- unique experience who can look at each other and go, you know, because anybody can say, I know what you're going through. Mm. Those two, when they look at Tom Holland and they say, I know what you're going through, they know what he's going through. That scene on the rooftop is, I watched it again just the other day, you know, when they first show up to essentially, you know, comfort him, you know, after the loss of May. Right. And just their stories, their stories are different enough, you know, that that they're unique to each of them, you know, because Toby has the Uncle Ben, traditional Uncle Ben. Sure. Um, and then Andrew, while he got the traditional Uncle Ben, also he also has the Gwen, you know, element right. that sort of wrecked him. And then here with Peter, it's it's May, 
Um, and, and it's not like those decisions were made with the intention of, Hey, 20 years from now, we're going to do a movie where all three of these guys are together. Sure. Yeah. But the steps fell together so that they could say, Oh, this is what happens when we tie them all. When we, when we bring them all underneath the same umbrella, they can learn from each other. You know, it's for them to have a conversation like I'm with you 100 percent. I can't imagine the three Batman sitting around, you know, talking about their trade secrets and how their utility belts are different or something. Right. But for, for Toby to talk about, you know, how his web is created and for <laughs> Andrew and Peter to just be so fascinated by it, you know, yep. it's yep. hilarious to me. You know, it's, yep. it's hysterical. But then I even as as such a nerd and someone who loves, you know, the every iteration of Spider-Man. I watched that final battle and I'm like, oh, cool. Toby Spider-Man got to fight the lizard. Yes. You know? I thought the same thing. Yeah. yeah, but look, oh, that's cool. Oh, Tom Holland is actually going to fight Sandman. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't think yep. I'd get a chance to see that. So there's a, you know, and, and, and there's complaints that we can, you know, nitpicky things I'm sure we as fans are going to have. Uh, when I recently rewatched the movie, my nitpicky thing was oh, the lizard doesn't get to do much in this movie, does he? Yeah, no. But uh, but it's also like it's it's so minimal in a movie filled with moments that were just pure Spider-Man and and not just comic book Spider-Man, but like the cinematic Spider-Man. Um, it, it just you know there there was no way not to smile during that and think, well, there's Toby's suit again, and you know the, you know one of my favorite lines in any Spider-Man movie ever is. Uh, so are you going into battle just as a cool youth pastor or, you know, or you have your suit and, you know, and he just like, you know, shows up and he's like, oh, yeah. I got it, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, let, let, let me uh, let me ask you as the uh, as the writer going through all this stuff. Um, do you what is your favorite? What what if Spider-Man like if you could pick one Spider-Man movie that didn't get made, let's say nothing else changes. What what would you pick? You know, um, I would I would continue Andrew's run. Uh, I would love to see him can, to keep going down that road. I love, I love the casting of Shailene Woodley as Ma as Mary Jane, mm -hmm. um, and I would have liked to have seen Andrew playing this version that he describes in No Way Home, of you know I got bitter and I stopped pulling my punches. Yeah, you know yeah. that's an interesting Spider Man for him to play, mm -hmm. uh, and we did we don't get to see that. Right, you know like that's a devastating finale. Um, it's a devastating finale to Amazing Spider-Man 2 with a with a truly earned um hopeful redemption. Like his scene with the kid at the end is fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And while I fear <laughs> that's that Sony was going to shoehorn in the Sinister Six at all cost, mm -hmm. um, I would have loved to see Andrew get another sort of just traditional Spider-Man 3 where you know it was a craven as a villain or like a one-off villain kind of thing yeah. before he had to, because Sony was never going to do a good job at the Sinister Six movie. It was going to be a hot mess. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that was guaranteed. Yeah. Um, but I, and that's why in a way I, I, I appreciate so much more how no way home gave him the redemption that I always felt he needed um, because I would have loved for, to seen him get at least, you know, one or two more movies. I, I totally agree because they're, they're version of the sinister six it, it you know the, those characters and this is how i feel about the you know like the venom and morbius movies that have come out they're just they don't work really without spider-man and 
you know, I, I thought that about the Joker movie. I'm like, you can't do Joker without Batman. And right. I end up very much enjoying that film. Um, but I still stand by what I said. It's like, yeah. this is a cool what if Elseworlds Joker, you know, that maybe potentially created Batman because there's some cool synergy that Todd Phillips put in with, you know, the the, the death of the Waynes and the you know rebirth of the Joker scene. That It's really cool at the end of that film. Yeah. I mean, I think my favorite scene from that movie is when he goes to you know wayne manor and sees kid bruce yeah, yeah. and you just think like wow you guys are gonna have a long history together <laughs> and, and well bruce even goes down the flagpole <laughs> so that's yeah, kind yeah. of a fun fun nod there <laughs> yes. um yeah. and then uh you know and and then with the the venom the first venom movie i just remember watching it going this really could have been something special and obviously to a lot of people it was because it made 800 million dollars uh right. this the second film um, I still think Woody Harrelson was perfect casting yeah. and I love a lot of what they did in there, but not all of it. Uh, <laughs> whereas, uh, yeah. and same with Morbius, I think Jared Leto was good casting, but there's a part of me that just sort of wishes, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if it had been like Tom Holland growing the extra arms and then, you know, having to fight Morbius. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just some of these characters just, uh, you know, they they can't exist without Spider-Man as much as Sony wants them to. So um, I don't hate the idea of, you know, Andrew getting to go over to that universe and mm -hmm. be the Spider-Man of that universe or even just recasting a Spider-Man since the since the concept of the multiverse is now open, yep. you know, recasting someone who can come in and be the Spider-Verse of that universe that doesn't interfere with Tom Holland being the Spider-Man of the MCU. They can coexist. You know, the, yep. the audience is savvy enough now at this point that we understand it. And the fans want it to be an Andrew or a Peter, but uh, an Andrew or a Toby. But I don't think it necessarily has to be. You almost get a chance to start over. And you look at all these um, set photos from Madam Web, like maybe they are trying to do something like that. I'm not quite sure what that movie is. Uh, and I'll be curious to see how it plays out. I certainly hope they know what the movie is because obviously they did not know what Morbius was. <laughs> no, um, no, they but didn't. I still maintain that if Adam Scott is an old bitter Peter Parker, I'm all I'm totally on board with that. Doesn't that uh, sound fascinating? I a hundred percent. I don't think that's what they're doing. Um, but you know, who knows? Um, but you know, it's but like you said, the 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 multiverse is open. I think there isn't there isn't a reason to do wacky crazy stuff you know and the uh from the brief things you know at least as of this recording we've seen from across the spider-verse you know i think audiences are ready for that i'm mm -hmm. totally on board with if the next film is a live action 2099 film um oh, or get crazy or you know and the joke i made to some of my well not the joke but some i said to my friends i was like i think that andrew's or excuse me that toby's spidey went through like a like a regular, you know, Spider-Man adventures, like the Stanley stuff. And, but I do think that Andrew's Spidey went through a superior Spider-Man. Yeah, um, that's I can that's see that. that's my thought process. Um, I can see that. But uh, and you know who who knows what's going to happen next with Tom Holland? And I think hopefully they just you know give him a blank check and say whatever you want and let him do whatever he wants with spider-man four five and six <laughs> well and there are so many still interesting storylines that you could do you know with with uh tom holland at that young age you know mm -hmm. i mean you hear the concepts of them keeping it at street level 
uh, and teaming him up with Daredevil to go against Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. And obviously Spider-Man's, you know, butted heads with Kingpin multiple times over the years. You could do a gang war type thing where you mm-hmm. cast a hammerhead and you drop Punisher in the middle of it. And just, you know, it's Spider-Man trying to stay above the fray as one of those, you know, street wars turn themselves, tear themselves apart. Right. Um, then if you want to keep going, like the clone saga is something that's never been touched on, you know, it, mm-hmm. it would be pretty elaborate, but you, you could <laughs> go down that route. Um, don't forget that Tom Hardy dropped a piece of, alien symbiote you know in the mcu so that's out there too yep um you know everyone's like oh i think tom holland's done there's no way he's done you know like they've laid out too many things for for him to possibly do and no one's done you know like feige is now proving that like he's gonna make everything happen that needs to happen and charlie cox is the perfect example you know that series falls apart on on netflix but he knows that it's popular and he knows people love Charlie Cox as it. So he's bringing him back and yep. he's been terrific in She-Hulk, uh, you know, and he's going to be mm-hmm. amazing in Born Again. You know, he's going to be amazing in Born yep. Again. So it's the future is so bright. I, I totally agree. I, I can't wait for more Charlie Cox because that that one episode, I mean, he was in two episodes of She-Hulk, but that first episode of She-Hulk he was in, you know, was, you know, it this might be blasphemous to say, but I think better than the netflix show you know dare i say um different sure yes yes there's a better way to put it (laughs) so i don't like (laughs) lose all my subscribers um (laughs) but it but it 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 got to do something that we hadn't seen him do before which is interact with another superhero outside of you know the the other netflix heroes and the punisher of course which is all well and good and great but you know now it's time to you know, I want to see that amazing Spider-Man cover recreated with John Bernthal as the Punisher, you know, yeah. uh, you know, with uh, with Miles Warren as the Jackal, you know, the, these things that, you know, who would have thought that Hugh Jackman was coming back? I, I never would have guessed in a million years. Perfect example. Perfect yeah. example of just the people who you think are done are not done. They're not done. And They're not like, done. Pat, like Patrick Stewart, I was like, oh, well, of course he's going to come back because... I don't. I don't think he's a hard sell. He he loves the character, right. you know. But whereas uh, uh, Hugh Jackman kind of he got that ending, so of course he's gonna. He might might have been a a little bit harder of a sell. Right. Uh, but with you know with Ryan Reynolds and Sean Levy, you're in good hands, of course. And it leads me to believe that they came up with a killer idea. You know, yeah. I I think they went to him with a pitch that that was like, oh, all right, I have to I have to be part of this. So. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm very much intrigued by that because that's what I loved about too. And in, in doing the research for, you know, no way home and, and hearing from the guys who were uh, Andrew and Toby, both being like, we're not coming back if it's just a glorified cameo, you know, yeah. like we have to be integral to the, to the plot. And I, I was, that's what I was pleasantly surprised at was that it wasn't just the last 10 minutes of a two hour and 20 minute movie. You know, they were really brought in for the third act and were crucial to to bringing it all home, and I thought that that was terrific, terrific. It 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 made all the difference to to us as the fans too, because I think, uh, and also not killing Toby, which I think some of us were a little bit worried about, but um, yeah. but you know, in in from where I was sitting, I just thought it it would have been cool if they had just kind of you know shown up in like a multiverse image, like there's the Flash season two, right, where he's running through the multiverse and he sees. John Wesley Ship and Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes. It's like, oh, that's all cool and well and good. But 
for them to actually interact and do stuff. And obviously, Feige being a fan makes a difference. And uh, Amy Pascal being a fan, I feel like she's more of a fan of like the idea of what the movies can be. Maybe not necessarily yeah. a comic book fan like he is. But it's like, yeah, we can, if we have $200 million, we can really make something spectacular. You know, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> so. And No Way Home in particular, too, you got to remember, was really a COVID production. Yeah. You know, like a big yeah. part of the reason why Sandman and the Lizard uh, probably are not used as much as we would prefer them to be is just because th those actors couldn't get to the set, you know. Yep. And so that's why Sandman's always in sand form, you know, mm -hmm. yep. and and the Lizard never turns into Reese Ifans. It's just the, those actors couldn't be there. And so it's all voiced cameo work um, with, you know, added to, to CGI. And so limitations of the, of the story and the script at that point. But but it also works because it does make it feel more comic booky that you know the Sandman's like that in the books and the Lizard is a lot like that in the books. Nick Spencer's recent run, you know, he's the Lizard most of the time, and mm -hmm. even in a lot of the other comics, he's like that. And and that's exciting for me as a fan watching it, going, oh well, this is truer to the books than the movies ever could have been. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't feel silly it doesn't feel like well this is forced because of whatever you know despite what i said about the lizard not having a great role yeah. it it's still i'll still take what i was given versus nothing oh absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely um sean this has been an, an absolute blast getting to talk about your book and talk about spider-man um if you're if, you, if you're totally interested i would i would love to have you back to talk about another spider-man book um that'd well, be great i would love yeah. to anytime yeah man yeah, hopefully I proved that I know my stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I I read the book. I I do like that you're not uh, you're you're telling it in a like I said a very educational way, but you're not. But you also sprinkle in your own bits here and there, like saying you know how you wrote these articles, and then suddenly you found out about Tom Holland, and you know, and I I could feel that this was written by a fan, and thank you. Thank that you. that made a lot of difference to me because. It's the same way with the movies. You can tell when they're not made by a fan mm. or when they're made by somebody who doesn't get it. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I point to David Sandberg, who wasn't a Shazam fan, but he got it. So Shazam ended up great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so I appreciate that as a fan. And if people are looking for the book, uh, where can they find it? I mean, Amazon is the easiest place, um, but it's also available all the different places where you can find uh, books. Barnes and Noble uh, is carrying it. Uh, books a million, Target, Walmart. Um, there's a bunch of indie uh, bookstore websites you can go to as well, too, that if they don't carry it, they can at least order it for you. Um, so it's pr pretty much anywhere you can get books, uh, wherever you pick up books. It's also in a Kindle form and there is an audiobook form because I know people really appreciate uh, those as well too over you know especially with people who are commuting or or working out and want to listen to books on tape the audio version uh is available for you too uh that that is something i it's funny you mentioned that because i was joking about earlier with a friend of mine that i was like i was like, i really need to get more into books on tape i love podcasts you know so i should yeah, yeah, yeah. get more into that too so i can get more reading done um i barely have time to read all the comic books i want to read you know 
Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I, even though I have a comic book centric podcast. <laughs> um, and, and finally, Sean, if people are, uh, you know, thwip, thwip, uh, swinging around the interwebs looking for you, where can they find you? Oh, so uh, Cinema Blend is our website um, and I'm I'm there on a daily basis. And then um, I do I do a, host a podcast. It's called Real Blend with two of my friends and it's a lot of movie news and we do uh, director interviews um, and then I'm available on uh, social media. Sean underscore O'Connell and then uh, the With Great Power book has uh, has a Twitter account as well, too. So look us up. Uh, de- definitely check the book out, folks. Um as we're as we're discussing, it's close to the holiday season, at least as of this recording. Uh, so you know your friends that are cinephiles uh, who are Spider-Man fans, you know, pick it up. Uh, you know, shower shower them with love with Spider-Man because I don't think there's a better way to say I love you than with a Spider-Man gift. Um, I agree a hundred percent. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for me, you can find me at Spider-Man Books on Twitter. You can email me Spider-Man or excuse me the Spider-Man. Excuse me again, Spider-Man Book Club at gmail.com. And uh, if you're looking for me, my personal account is at 4ComicJunkies on Twitter, F-O-R, Comic Junkies. Uh, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Sean, thanks a million. This was, uh, this was a total blast, man. Thank you, JJ. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, for all you out there, we just got one word to end this with, which is Excelsior.